We want to turn in our Bibles again to Galatians chapter 5 and pick up at verse 13. I believe we stopped at verse 13 and so we're going to start there today. Uh, we stopped at verse 12, so we pick up at verse 13. So let's have someone read verse 13, please. For brethren, ye have been called much liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Okay. Christian liberty does not permit sin. And we need to get that grounded in our minds, in our thoughts, because many to the contrary is happening around us today. Uh, Christian liberty does not permit sin. Instead, it encourages loving service. It encourages us to serve others with a great degree of love. We serve them because we love them. Love is seen as a motive for all Christian behavior. We see it in all of the epistles of the, of the Apostle Paul uh, when he writes concerning the, the, the behavior, uh, the needs and the concerns of the saints that he was writing to. And so it's a motive for all Christian behavior. Whereas under the law, the motive of fear is punishment. Uh, Finley says, love slaves are true freemen. Love slaves are, true, are, are true free men. And so Christian freedom is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that in, in, in chapter 2 and verse 4. And it excludes any possible thought that it might ever mean freedom to sin. It excludes that thought absolutely. We must never turn our freedom into a base for the operation of the flesh. Many people do that. Because they have freedom in Christ, they use that freedom as an opportunity for the sin, for the flesh, to wreak havoc in their lives in, in terms of sin. And so just as an invading army will seek to gain a beachhead in the use of, and, and use it as a base of operations to further their conquest, so the flesh will utilize a little license to expand its territory. Just a little sin. We'll use that as an opportunity to expand the base of sin. And so, a proper outlet for our freedom is making a habit to be slaves to one another. That's a proper outlet for our freedom. Not sin, but as an opportunity to serve others. A.B. Pearson makes a statement. Notice what he says, and I quote, True freedom is found only in obedience to proper restraint. A river finds liberty to flow only between banks. Without these, it would only spread out into a slimy, stagnant pool. Planets, uncontrolled by law, would only bring wreck to themselves and to the universe. The same law which fences us in, fences others out. The restraints which regulate our liberty also ensure and protect it. It is not control, but the right kind of control and a cheerful obedience which make the man, the free man. End of quote. I think that's a very important statement and it's very true if we think about it in its full context. 
And so, what principles or applications do we gather from Paul's statement in verse 13? What does it mean to us when he says, Brethren, I have called you to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use it to serve one another in love. What do we get from that statement? What do we learn from that? How do we apply that to our lives in order to, to live and to walk in obedience? Well, Paul distinguishes between freedom and sin. Freedom to serve. Freedom or license to sin is not freedom at all because it enslaves you to Satan. Others, but it also enslaves us to our own sinful nature. How many of you are enslaved right now to your own sinful nature? You eat too much. Okay? That's being enslaved. That's being enslaved to a sinful nature because, because uh, uh, gluttony is a sin, right? Okay, so if you eat too much, you know you shouldn't eat, or you eat certain things that you're not supposed to eat. Okay? You're enslaved to that. What else are we enslaved to? Money. Money, okay. People are enslaved to money. Okay, they do all kinds of things to get it. Okay, what else? Work. Okay, people are workaholics. They're enslaved to that. Alright? And so there are a whole lot of things that we are, we are enslaved to. We're enslaved to Satan. We're enslaved to other people. We're enslaved to uh, the sinful nature. Self has been described as our biggest enemy. Self. From which we get selfishness and self-centeredness and self-aggrandizement and self-this and self-that. Okay? So, uh, I think it's uh, Martin Luther who said the greatest enemy, greater than all the papal people in Rome, is self. That's our greatest enemy. That's the one we need to watch out for. Not somebody who's going to confront us with a gun to rob us. It's self. And we need to think about that. A lot of things that we do that we shouldn't do are as a result of selfish motives. So self is our biggest enemy. And Paul, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. When he says, when I want to do what is right, I don't do it. Self. Christians, by contrast, should not be slaves to sin. Because they are free to do right and to glorify God through loving and serving others. That's right. But we shouldn't overdo it when we work. Okay, you see what happens? What happens a lot is people, people get into work and they neglect a whole lot of other things, including God. Now remember, it's God who says He giveth one the ability to obtain wealth. It's God who gives the person the ability to work, to get work. What happens in many cases is that they don't realize it's God that gave them the ability to get wealth, and so they overdo it. And then God gets left out. It's like uh, someone giving you something, and you are so... I remember uh, when we were doing work on the mission field, guys were, we were running to fellas, and they would want something to eat, and we would give them food. And before the food was out of our hand, they would, that food was gone, and they didn't even say thanks. You see, and we do that a lot of times with work. God gives us the ability to obtain wealth, and so we get so carried away with the work that we forget the one who gave the work. We become workaholics. And God doesn't get any glory, nor does He get any thanks for it. Okay, and so we need to be careful of that. Yes, we, we are to work. 
in order that we may eat. Not only that, but it says that we may be able to help others who have needs as well. Alright, and so that's where that, that sin of, of, of having money uh, comes in again because people get the money only for themselves, not to help others. Okay, verse 14. Now, do we do that? No. <laughs> Why? Why don't we do that? Is that, is that difficult to understand? For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. And the whole law. Now remember, the law is not ten commandments. The law is hundreds of, of laws. Okay? Summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the question is, do you really love yourself? Do you really love yourself? Some people don't love themselves. They think they do. But if you love yourself, you should be able to love others. That's right. You know, especially when it comes to health. Okay, now they said that, uh, you know, doctors are, the, the, the worst people are taking care of themselves. And they should know better, right? Well, all of us are the same. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So when you look at this statement, at first glance, it seems strange that Paul should introduce law here. Because all through the epistle, he's emphasizing uh, the negatives of the law. He's not urging readers to, to, to go back to the law. He's showing that the whole, that the, he's showing what the law demanded, but could not produce, is the very thing that results from the exercise of Christian liberty. Just the whole law is summed up in this command. It gives us Christian liberty. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever you would desire to do for yourself, do it for your neighbor. If you know that there is a, a need that you have in your own life, and, and you know that, well, this, this is a great need, this is a significant need. I wonder if my neighbor has the same need. Loving our neighbors as ourselves means looking beyond ourselves to those around us. Verse 15. Okay, now notice he says, if you are always biting. Now, does he mean physical biting? No, but backbiting. Backbiting. If you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Be aware of destroying one another. You see, legalism always leads to rowing, to quarreling. And it apparently had done so in, in Galatia, among the believers. And it's a strange thing. Here we have people who wanted to be under the law. The law requires them to love their neighbors, yet the very reverse was happening. They have been backbiting and devouring, destroying one another. And this behavior springs from the flesh, to which the law always gives place, and on which the law always acts, biting and devouring one another, backbiting, talking about one another behind their back. So what principles do we see here that Paul wants us to get in verse 13 and 14? Two very unique verses. 
Love one another and serve one another and do what and what else? Love one another and serve one another, verse 13. What does verse 14 say? Stop doing what? Or 15. Or 15. Stop beating up on one another. Fighting or devouring one another. Stop beating up one another. Okay. With your tongue. You know, we can beat a person real bad with our tongues. You know that, right? The injuries may not be physical, but they can be mental, psychological, and emotional. Think of uh, some of the things that people have been hurt by that have not been done by a single lift of the hand or an object, but simply by the moving of the tongue. You know, some people have been devastated and hurt for life simply by what someone said to them. You know, and they'll never get over it. And so we need to be careful. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to say that. It's easy to say that. Okay. Uh, if a person truly is, is genuinely knows and loves the Lord, they can do that. But if a person is weak in the faith, it's very difficult for them to let go or let it go. The key is forgiveness, though. The key is forgiveness. You know, you can only let it go if you forgive the person. If you don't forgive them, you can't let it go. No, you're not going to forget, but the, the forgiveness covers it. You know? That's true. That's true. But when you see them and you remember it, then you thank God for His mercy. No, because He died on the cross for us. Okay, but we need to, we need to remember that um, when others are Offend us, we forgive them and we leave them to the Lord. The Lord is going to take care of them. Now you may remember what they did to you when you see them again, but whenever you remember, you remember that Jesus paid it all. The Lord's going to take care of them. Okay, you don't need to keep remembering what they did and then and then getting all bent out of shape and and stressed out and then your your blood pressure go up and and you uh huh. That's right. It does make you stronger. It does make you stronger. You know, because you don't you don't let it get get the best of you. And he said that when he was on the cross, in pain. All right. So when you look at them individuals who did you wrong, and the pain comes back, remember Jesus on the cross and what he said: "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Or don't hold this sin against them. That's true. That's true. That is true. In your mind, outside you would always remember that. You not have to say anything, but you would remember. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> love does cover a multitude of sin. You know, we need to let love have its place. We need to let it work the way God intended it for it to, to work. You know, when, 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 um, 
Oh yeah, yeah, and, and the feeling comes back, but we need, need to remember that that's a part of the old nature. And the old nature will always bring up things of the past that, cause, that will cause you to dwell on the flesh again. That's the job of the old nature. It's still there, it's not been eradicated. And so whenever someone does us something wrong, and we see that person again, automatically the memory is going to come back or whatever happened is going, to, is going to come up. But we also need to remember that it's the old nature that's doing that. There's the battle that's still going on between the spirit and the flesh. Always going on, continuously. And uh, we need to remember that that battle is a part of when someone does us wrong and we see them again and bring it up again. That's the part of the, the battle that's going on, that's raging. And we need to remember that and not try to dismiss it. Okay, love does cover a multitude of sins, and so we need to be mindful of that uh, when those memories come back and sort of want to ag aggravate. You know what happens too? If, if somebody is worried about someone, and I tell it to you, to my friend, instead of you trying to, you know, get me to forget it, I'm sorry for you. I just caught me remember this thing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I remember Mother Sarah, and something bothered me, and I go, now, only thing she inspired me to say, God, call you. <laughs> you know, and I always think of her like that. She don't, you know, we sorry for people to be saying that, you know, we leave it to God, you know. Because we always sorry for that place, and just make it feel like it's take off. And make them feel worse. You know, I think it's there. Encouragement yeah. is what people need. Okay. And so when we are when 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 we believers lose the motivation of love, what do we do? When we lose the motivation for love, what do we do? When we not when we no longer motivated to love our neighbors, what do we do? We hate them. We hate them and we become critical of them, right? We become very we always find find the worst about them. To talk about or to think about. But then sometimes, sometimes that that that, that critical thing that you do about your neighbor that don't last always. Because you meet her every day, you don't have to speak to her. You you should, yeah. <laughs> so when we're not motivated to love, we stop. We become critical of other people. We start thinking about the words. We stop. We we stop looking for the good in them. And we see only their faults. We always see only the bad things they've done, not the good. That's what happens when we when we when we lose our motivation to love. When we lose our motivation to love our neighbors as ourselves. So when you if you if you look at a person, regardless of what they've done to you in the past, and you start to become critical of them, and you start looking at the bad instead of the good, then you are becoming you are behaving like a legalist. And you're losing your motivation to love. Well, <laughs> you <laughs> they know what they do, but you look at the good, you look for the good. You don't look for the bad. You know, you know, you you look at them and you say, you know what they've done, bad. But then you start to look at, or you could probably sit down and make a list of the positive things about them. 
the good things about them. I have a neighbor, this man is very What do you think will happen if you do that? I don't know. That's what you need to do it. Yeah. You'll be surprised at what will happen. You'll be surprised at what will happen. And that has happened to a lot of people. You know, uh, people have people have actually done that. You know, a person has been really critical and, and disgusting, and, and they did something that the person totally never expected. And it totally changed the person. You should try it. You know? Um, even if you throw the face but check cake in your face, you <laughs> would make an effort. <laughs> But he wouldn't do that. You would do that. But you you would have made an impact on the person. You would have made a, yeah. You would have made an impact on them to some extent. Mm -hmm. So we need to remember Jesus' command though. We need to remember Jesus' command to love one another. To love others as you love yourself. And, and let that be the motivating factor. So what do you do? What do we do when we start to feel critical of someone? We sit down and make a list of that person's positive qualities. Make a list of their positive qualities. Your neighbor, the one who's disgusting, sit down and make a list of his positive qualities. Whatever you see good about him. You know what I mean? Now, now the list may be out balance. <laughs> okay? But sit down and think about it. Make a list of the positive qualities. And, uh, and and then the problems need to be addressed. Confront in love instead of gossiping. That's right. That's true. Despite love them nevertheless. You know, if God only loved us because we'd be in deep trouble. Okay, love is unconditional. Uh, <laughs> Because he's God. <laughs> because he's God. Okay. No, but he can. We can do what he empowers us to do. Okay. We can do what he empowers us to do. And come in my house and kill my child. You think I could love that? After a while. It, it, it'll be very difficult, but it is possible. It is possible. Okay, um, God loved all of those who kill His son. All those who kill His son, He loved them no less than the ones who didn't do anything. Hmm? That's right. But He loved us nevertheless. All right. So we're talking about following in God's footsteps. We need to remember God's response and God's reaction to those who killed His son. How did he deal with them? Did he love them any less? No, he didn't. His love is unconditional. Okay, he loves us in spite of, nevertheless. And so that brings us then to the end of Paul's uh, teaching on legalism. And then he goes into uh, talking about holiness. And he talks about the power of holiness from verse 16 on to verse 25. How much power is there in holiness? Give us an understanding of what it means when God says, As he was, as your father is holy, you be also holy like him as well. And uh, verse 16. 
God rise for you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what you are sinful nature craves. Okay, and we know that what the sinful nature craves is inconsistent with the character of God, is inconsistent with the character of the Holy Spirit, right? And so the believer should walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. To walk in or by the spirit means what? What does it mean? Obeying God? Hmm? Walking in the spirit, to walk in the spirit or to allow the spirit to have his way means what? Obeying his God. Okay. Remaining in communion with him, right? Remaining in communion with him. It means to, to that the decisions that we make must be consistent with the holiness of God. Now think about that. Are all the decisions that we make consistent with God's holiness? Do they project us as being holy as God is holy? The decisions that we make in our lives day in and day out. No. Okay, well that's what it means to walk in the spirit. The lust or the cravings or the desires of the flesh. Okay, okay it, it means to be occupied with Christ. To be fully occupied with Christ. Because the Spirit's ministry is to engage the believer with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Is to bring the believer and Jesus Christ together in one, as one. Uh, when we thus walk in the spirit, the flesh or self is treated as if it's dead. That's when we walk in the spirit. The spirit, the, the, the flesh is treated as if it's dead. And so we cannot be occupied at the same time with Christ and with sin. The two is like oil and water, they can't mix. They don't go together. And the spirit against the flesh. Exactly. They are never on the same page. Let me read by the seventeen in this book. All sinful nature allows to be good. Which is just opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And your choices are never free from that conflict. Okay, so you're never free to carry out your good intentions, is what it means. Okay, they're always at war. There is never ever a time when those two forces are agreeing. On the same page, as it were. But listen to what Scofield says. Scofield, Scofield says, The problem of the Christian life is based on the fact that so long as the Christian lives in this world, he is, so to speak, two trees. The old tree of the flesh and the new tree of the divine nature, implanted by the new birth. And the problem itself is how to keep barren the old tree and to make fruitful the new tree. The problem is solved by walking in the spirit. So he's saying that, and that's an end of quote, he's saying that you got two trees, life is like two trees, you got to keep one tree from producing and you got to make sure that the other tree produces. Okay, you got to make sure that the old tree 
That's one tree to all nature, doesn't produce any fruit. Okay, and you're going to make sure that the new tree is always flourishing, always blossoming, blossoming. Okay, that's the challenge, and that's a good illustration. Again, you can understand the same weapon, you can't bear to face your life as you want. Then you need a situation not only say it, but do it. Because, you know, they, there, was a, there was a thing that where there people wearing those bracelets. Yeah, what was WWD? What would Jesus do? Yeah, but in most cases, people never actually followed what Jesus would do. They would just ask the question. But they never came to the conclusion of what Jesus would actually do to the point where they would do it. Now, you know that that part has quickly faded. You don't hear too much about that anymore, right? Because it's one of those things. You know, now, if it really caught on, and people were really doing what Jesus would do, it would still be going on now. Okay? But it's something that someone came up with, it didn't work, they never applied it in the appropriate way, and it didn't work. And so, well, the time is gone. And so, the, the, the verse, Paul tells us that the flesh is still present with the Christian. The idea of the eradication of the sinful nature uh, must always be refuted. The sinful nature is still there. It's not going anywhere. And when you look at that person who offended you, it's the sinful nature that arouses you to want to feel hurt and afflicted because of what they've done. We need to get over that and focus on the new nature. Okay, okay, we got to stop because our time is gone. The clock is wrong. What time are you up? Five more minutes? Okay, we need to, we need to set the clock. Yeah, I got five more too. Okay, we'll, we'll just stop right there and, uh, and close out. Father, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity we've had once again. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide our thoughts and our deliberations as we leave here and go into the week. Help us to apply the things that we've learned. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.